This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, all, and welcome. This week, we're talking about the Olympics with Perdita Flissian. Perdita gained recognition as a Team Canada hurdler, competing at the 2000 and 2004 Games. She is a two-time Olympian, 10-time national champion, and first Canadian woman to win a world championship, gold medal, and track and field. Perdita is also a television host, sports broadcaster, and most recently, an author. Throughout her career as a 100-meter hurdler, she earned many honors, including Canada's Athlete of the Year and the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. In 2013, she retired from professional sports, starting her career in broadcasting and later joining the CBC Broadcasting Team for the 2016 Summer Games. That same year, she was inducted into the Athletics Canada's Hall of Fame. Her first book, My Mother's Daughter, is a tribute to her relationship with her mother and came out earlier this year. Perdita, thank you so much for being here with us today. Good to be with you. It's so great to have you. That 100-meter hurdler is a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> Even I can't get it right all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few other syllables in there. But we're so thankful for you to have you. Obviously, you know, we're coming up to the time of the Olympics happening. It's going to look a little different this year. Uh, can you speak to that at all? It is really a hard time for an athlete who is one aspiring to get to the Olympics, aspiring to get to the Olympics, and this is their shot. And two, if you are already an established threat on the world stage, because you have to think about the psychology of what it takes to be at the Olympics and even get to the Olympics, you need perfect preparation right? You need to be with your coach. You need your facilities to be open. You need to be able to go to physio, right? And all around the world, all across the globe, you have athletes who are not able to change their maximal potential. And my real concern for the athletes is not that they can't, they can't hack it physically, right? It's more the psychological toll of having to prepare for something so important and not being able to do it at your best. And here's this that I think your audience should really understand. Olympians, sometimes we envy NHLers, we envy basketball stars because their championships are every year. So here's the thing. Yeah, if you muck it up this year, guess what? 2022. With us, it's a four-year cycle. How long is that to wait? Right. And then adding on that other year, because we've already been delayed now a year, I I can't imagine. I mean, number one, I can't imagine the training that just goes into that. In, to begin with, but then to maintain that for a year, right? And I'd imagine some people age out of that too, right? Like there's, I'm sure there's yeah. some athletes that aren't competing because of that year delay. Yeah, look, I retired in 2013. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm in nestled into retirement, but I still do have friends and fellow Olympians who, you know, they have their last hurrah and this was it for them. They were either going to start their families. They were going to go on and do, you know, um, medical degrees or go to law school. So to defer that for another year, mind you, like you said, it's a fifth year 
right? It's not a fourth year. It's a fifth year for them because of this pandemic was a really hard sell. It is very expensive to prepare for an Olympic Games. You think about training costs. You think about the fact if you're doing it full time and you're not able to work, you think about having to travel to competitions all around the world, hotel, paying your coach, maintaining your, your body physically, maintaining your equipment. It is a lot to ask. And the thing with Tokyo 2021, and they say it's 2020, but I call it 2021, <laughs> is that no international spectators, no uncle, no grandpa, no mom in the stands to cheer you on. I mean, it's almost like you're competing in a vacuum. And I'll say this, our athletes will be able to feel the love of Canadians wherever we are, right? We know that. We will feel the maple leaf. We will feel the warmth and the, and the roar. But there's something to be said about being like I was in Athens or I was in Sydney in 2000, being in a stadium that is 80,000 people deep cheering for you or even not for you, but being able to spot that one tiny or huge Canadian flag and feeling doubt or um, anxiety and seeing it and being like, okay, there's someone here for me. I got this. I can do this. That will now not be there for them. Yeah, gosh, you know, it's, I'm really happy that you described that because I didn't even, I didn't think of the intricacies of that, but you're right. The crowd has so much to do with that. And that's just not going to exist. You know, the noise and the, even the jeering that you like feed off of, right? If someone says, ah, get out of here, you suck. Which I mean, you don't literally hear that at the Olympics very often, but it's the point that there's a kind of electricity that runs through the stadium and that runs and courses through your veins as you're competing that actually fuels you, right? And empowers you or scares the crap out of you. And now I think it will be a little bit flatter. It'll be very different. Now that doesn't mean the athletes around the world can't hack it. They actually will do their job and they can do their job well, but it is just those little, you know, elements that they're really going to miss. And if this is your first Olympics, like I've been to five Olympics now, two as an athlete, three as a broadcaster, but to your first Olympics, like I could not imagine not feeling that. Do you know what I mean? It's right. Gone. That energy. Yeah, absolutely. Can you take us through a, a little bit about your personal journey and personal story and how you kind of got to this, this Olympic level? Yeah. So I um, started racing. I'm from Pickering, Ontario, which I like to shout out anytime I get a chance. It is. Um, you know, a town that really helped my mother and my family and I grow. My mother's a first, um, first family, first person from her family to come to Canada. So she's from St. Lucia, an immigrant. So I found sport honestly by chance. And anyone listening who is, you know, in their 30s and 40s might remember Canada Fitness, which was a standardized test that happened all around schools in Canada. They no longer do it now. It stopped in the in the early 90s. But basically, it was a standardized test. And in grade three, I was the only athlete in my class to get the biggest badge, which was excellence. And if you didn't do that well, you got the participation pin. You never wanted that because that means you didn't do that well. So I, I got, the, got the participation one. pin. Oh. <laughs> hey, you did there. You did it. But the test is like your speed and your endurance and how far you can jump and all these things. And so in grade three, my teacher, Mrs. Arthurs at Glen Grove Public School um, made um, when she was giving out all the badges. Right. Because there was participation. Then there was um, bronze then silver then gold then excellence. But I was the only one in my grade three class in gym to get it. So she made a big deal out of it. Right. She gave out all the other awards. And then she made mine a special announcement. And so we didn't really know what was happening, but we were just poised on her words. Like someone amazing is about to get something 
really big and they're the only person. And honestly, Lise, that was the first time that I was ever celebrated in such a big way. And I was hooked. Like she called me up and I was like, you know, eight years old, all proud and brimming with joy. And that really started my, my sports career because Mrs. Arthur's came back the next year and said, because I was old enough in grade four to sign up for the track and field team. And she made me sign up for track and field team. But here's the thing about my family. My mother, by virtue of coming here from St. Lucia, really didn't know, well, didn't know anything about organized sport. She didn't know about the Olympics. She didn't know that sport was this vehicle for anything. I have four other siblings. None of them did sport, right? And so when I made it for the track team in grade four, that very first day, I run home. And my mom, I burst through the, our little townhouse in Pickering. My mom is vacuuming the stairs and she's she sees all this commotion because I'm running through the door and she stops the vacuum. And I remember this day so vividly. And she didn't, I'm like, my mom, mom, I made it for the track team. But she did not know what the track team was, right? And so, but she sees how much my eyes are dazzling and how excited I is, I am. So she kind of plays it up. She's like, amazing, honey. That's excellent. She has no clue, girl. She goes back to like <laughs> vacuuming, right? But it was because Mrs. Arthur saw something in me that she realized that there was some potential. So this long-winded story is to say, that's really how I got my start. Someone noticed me and said, you come here do this and then my mom obviously fostered it and gave me the permission to go but it really started my journey we're all for that team canada spirit and now there's one more reason to be proud to be canadian for one canada's at the forefront of digital healthcare innovation enter maple maple virtual care is available via mobile app or web and available coast to coast 24 7 Maple is a credible virtual care platform providing access to Canadian licensed healthcare providers anytime, anywhere. With Maple, you can be connected to GPs and more than 15 different kinds of specialists, including dermatologists, psychotherapists, dietitians, naturopaths, and more. Over 2 million Canadians are already using Maple to get healthcare from wherever they are, and you can too. Head to getmaple.ca backslash style for more information. Well, and you got to think navigating a career in athletics for your child is a lot for anyone. But to your point, I know when your mom came here, she didn't speak the language. Is that correct? She didn't know anyone except this Canadian family that brought her over. So gosh, what a system to navigate not having any of that kind of that background, right? Or not, not knowing what life in Canada in general was like. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, you're exactly right. My mom is from St. Lucia. They speak French Creole, which is like a mix of French and African languages. So it's a mix of English as well, but that's not her, her mother tongue. So she actually came to Canada. Um, I wasn't born yet. My two older siblings were born, but I wasn't born yet. She actually came to Canada because she had to drop out of the school out of school when she was around in grade six. So she's around 11 or 12 when she had to drop out of school and she had to drop out of school. She loved school. My mother loved school, but she dropped out because she had to sell on the beach to help her family make a living. But one day as she's selling, she's a teen mother um, to my older siblings. As she's selling on the beach, she notices a, um, a man and a little small baby. So she trespasses onto hotel property because of course, as a beach vendor, you're not allowed to go onto hotel property, but she sees an opportunity in them. And so she just asked to babysit because she's like, I don't want to sell on the beach, but if I can make some money babysitting, hey, that's cool too. So she ends up babysitting for them and that started their friendship. And that family was a wealthy white family from Oshawa, Ontario, which you say, 
they brought her to Canada and that started her journey, but she didn't know the system. She didn't know the language. She didn't know how to navigate it. And when I come along three years later, as she's here, she left my siblings behind. I'm not planned. She has to decide whether or not to keep me. And once she keeps me, that is really when the journey and the hardships of her in Canada begins. So what's ironic about what you and I just chatted about is the fact that my mom overcame so many figurative hurdles in this country just so we could live out these dreams that she wanted us to have. She didn't want her children to sell on a beach. And we we, ha- we have never. But now one of her kids is literally a hurdler, like literally overcoming obstacles and living this dream out loud. Crazy, eh? That's so crazy. Yeah, I didn't even, what a great analogy. Absolutely. 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 And I mean, your book, uh, My Mother's Daughter, speaks to your relationship with your mother. I know, um, you know, in Athens there, was it in 2004, correct? Yes. There was the the hurdle where you had tripped and, oh. and fallen and, and couldn't, didn't finish essentially. And your teammates really didn't know what to do in that instance, right? And what they did, they called your mom, right? Yeah. And, and it got you on the phone with your mom. So tell us a little bit about that and the strength that she kind of support that she gives. Yeah. So honestly, that was my most devastating hour. And you have to imagine the scene, right? It's 2004, the Olympic final, the 100 meter hurdles. I am the favorite, right? I'm the Olympic, um, um, not the Olympic champion, rather. I am the world champion. I've not lost a, a race all summer on the circuit. No one has been able to beat me, dethrone me. I've smashed the Canadian record. I am just on fire. And I go into the final and I fall and crash at the first hurdle. Not only do I crash and fall at the first hurdle, I actually take out another competitor in that race. So you have to imagine the the extreme devastation of that moment. So like you said, my team does not know how to console me. They do not know what to do. I am a mess. I am a wreck of a person. And they call my mother. And when they call my mother, they get on their phone, on the phone. She's not in the stadium with me. She's at home in Pickering, Ontario, in our small little co-op townhouse. And my mother says to me, you are the gold. Lift your head up high. You are the gold. And I mean, come on. Oh my gosh, I'm crying. <laughs> I know, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, mother yeah. to hold you in the only way that she can with her voice and with her words and anyone who's experienced trauma and we've all experienced trauma in different ways and it is all relative but that was extremely traumatic for me in many ways and it's still my every every cell in my body still holds on to that moment because I, I will never let it go but my mother took the edge off of that pain for me in that moment she took the edge off it and anyone who's ever experienced anything devastating in life knows that sometimes you just need the edge off your pain so you can take another breath, so you can take another step. And my mother gave that to me in that moment. So I thought, okay, this is horrible. This is a nightmare that I'm living in, but just hearing her voice and how strong it was and how sure it was that I was the only thing that mattered gave me the ability to get, to, to move on and to face the next mm-hmm. moment. And that's really what, what I had from her. Mm-hmm. It sounds like she's just always been this support really. And it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, she wasn't even physically there. It was just her voice. Like, does she always know the right thing to say? Do moms always know the right thing? You're a mother now. Do moms always know the right thing to say? Like, (laughs) you know what? My mom, God, I love her. I think, I think moms are special. I think we're very special. We do know, and we have an aura about us. And honestly, it was, it's the hardest job in the world. It is the, the biggest title. I have so many titles. Um, in, in all humility, I say that, but I have a lot of titles, but the, the, the one that I'm most proud of and that will mean the most to me is being, being a mother. I think what moms have 
good moms, right, especially, is they are connected to their children, right? And they know they can't always make it perfect, but they can make it okay, if that makes sense, right? They can Mm -hmm. give you and they can channel and funnel their strength, their lessons, their perspectives to you to make it okay. And I think even as I was becoming an Olympian and a world-class athlete, and even what I explore in my book, because my book is a love letter to my mother, but it does touch on a lot of my sport moments and a lot of my sport lessons. But it really is that... You know, sport teaches us so many things, but I think also what I got from that is those lessons, but I saw the humanity in my mother, right? I saw the hard decisions that she had to make. My mother had to decide, okay, do I stay in this country with a a newborn baby, no papers, no money, or do I go back home to St. Lucia? My mother knew that if she went back home to St. Lucia, the dreams that she wanted for me and my older siblings most likely would have not come true. And again, to me, what is so mind blowing is I'm literally living and have lived the dreams my mother wanted, right? I'm not selling on a beach and there's nothing wrong with that, but she actually experienced that as a child and she didn't want that for us. So here she has a child that's an Olympian, that's a world champion, that is, you know, now a TV host and going to be a, you know, a host broadcaster at the Olympics. My mother is seeing the the sacrifices that she made in real life. I'm living them out loud. And so to me, moms do have a special power. They do have an uncanny sense of how to make things okay. And they can single-handedly change the future of their children. And I don't think moms get enough celebration and enough, um, enough adulation. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, I mean, the sacrifice that she made and the discomfort she must have felt like, I can't imagine, I know you speak a little bit or she rather in you sharing her story speaks a little bit about she didn't really feel welcome as a black immigrant in Canada. Right. And so to, yeah, like just to overcome all of those obstacles to have this like thriving daughter now and, you know, thriving existences, yeah. such a story to tell. Yeah, she is so proud. And it's like one of the things that I discovered in writing this book is the day my mom goes into labor with me, like I said, she's she's from St. Lucia. She doesn't have a lot of status. She's left her other children behind. She has me and she's living in the basement of an older, wealthy family that really is taking advantage of her. But she lives in her basement, but she has to stay and she wants to stay because, like I said, going back to St. Lucia is not a future right for her. So as she goes into labor with me, Elise, the morning of, Um, she's in active labor. She has no one to drive her to the hospital for me. She knocks on the door of this woman that she's living with, the Harrys, and they're too inconvenienced to take her to the hospital. They finally relent and take her, but for her to go to the hospital, she has to make them food first. She has to make them them 10 tuna sandwiches because this couple knows, well, if our housekeeper goes to the hospital and she's having a baby, we're not gonna, she's not gonna be able to cook for us for three or five days or a week or how long I was in the hospital. So those were the kind of indignities that my mother was up against, right? So now to see your child flourishing in this country that was so hard to gain traction, who's holding up a maple leaf flag, who is doing a victory lap, where the entire stadium of 80,000, 110,000, 60,000, whatever the numbers of, of people are in these stadiums around the world, the entire stadium is now standing for the national anthem because your daughter crossed the finish line first. You have to imagine what she feels, right? Which is yeah. why this book really is 
It is my sports story, but it is really a love letter to my mother because without her, this dream of Canada, this dream of being an Olympian and a champion and being so proud to be Canadian would have not been a thing in my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a powerful, what a powerful woman. And it seems like she, I mean, she was obviously there to lift you up many times, but it seems now too, you have a bit of that reciprocal relationship. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? So, yeah, I do feel like our relationship is very reciprocal. And that's the thing about, you know, I'm a 40 year old woman, right? So like I've lived some life. So me and my mother are, are friends, which I think it's hard to say at times because my mom is very Westian and she's like, I'm not your little friend. I'm not one of your little friends. Like she'll always say that to me. And I have a two-year-old. I'm like, I am not your friend. I'm your mother. Big difference, right? But I think really where we are is um, we are each other's network and support system, right? We rely on each other and we can trust each other. And I think that she really trusts my input. So my mother will call me about things that are happening and you know she'll get my feedback. One of the things though that I discovered in my writing, and I did not know this about my mother, is because we were alone and, and homeless for part of my childhood, right? So I, I, I said my other siblings were in St. Lucia, but we were here alone together, the two of us. She said this to me, and this came out recently as the book has been released. You know, I'm five and six years old. And she said she felt, she feels a lot of guilt present day as a mother who had to rely on her six-year-old. Because my mother did have to rely on me a lot, right? To be independent, meaning she couldn't afford a babysitter for me. So I would have to stay wherever we were living alone. And she would have to make a key tied around my neck or put it in my backpack and hide it. So I, when I came home, I could let myself in. This is as a six-year-old, right? I, I could never fathom doing that current day. And we would have a code, right? When she would come home or, or when I would come home after school and she wasn't there, she was still babysitting, you know, another child because that's that was her job, taking care of other people's children. She would call the house, let it ring a few times, hang up, call, hang up, call, hang up. On the third ring of that quick, quick calling, I knew that was my mom and I could, I could pick up the phone and answer, right? That was kind of our signal. So I think we have always been each other's support system. We have always been there for each other. That's just how we we are, right? But it was interesting as the 40-year-old woman that I am now, understanding that my mother had to rely on me in a way that should you should not have to rely on a child, right? But I was at the same time, I was also her 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 um her strength and her hope, meaning she says to me now as this book is out there and everything is so close to the surface for her. If I didn't have you here with me in Canada, I don't know how much I would want to keep fighting. You know, right. I gave her a purpose and a reason to keep fighting, keep fighting. And at least it's so, it's so hard for me. And this is the thing about writing about the past is it's very complicated and, and complex in my own heart and mind. It's because I think about all the things that I discover and I discuss in the book at any point, if my mom had made a different decision from literally whether deciding to keep me, which would have been her choice as a woman to going back to St. Lucia to leaving my dad who was abusive. If my mom had made any different decision, at least my life as a woman would be very, very different. So do you see how it's hard to, to reconcile that or make sense of that now? Because you think, what if, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when we, I mean, our parents' stories and our family stories are so intertwined in our stories, right? Like it's, 
they they base where where we go with things absolutely um so no i appreciate you sharing what you know you said a little bit about what your mom what you, what you represented to your mom that hope and that strength what does she represent to you so what my mother represents to me is is a lot but i'll say this i i competed for more than 12 years on the world stage and a lot of the things that I'm discussing now, I've never revealed as an athlete. One of my biggest drives and motivations was to make my mother proud, right? Was to make her see that everything that we've been through, the homelessness, the, the not having any food or money, the sacrifices was worth it. So now as I'm a woman and a mother myself, I realize my mother is the epitome of strength. But I think what happens to us as the daughters and the sons of our parents is we don't always see their humanity. We don't always see see who they are as a wife or a woman or a dad or a man. We don't always, that's dad, he's our hero. That's mom, she's our hero. And I think what I've really discovered is my mother's humanity I've really discovered that she has single-handedly changed the trajectory of, of my life and my daughter's life because my daughter, you know, knock on wood, will never really live at a woman's shelter the way I had to live at a woman's shelter with my mother, right? My daughter won't, won't face those things and has it in her childhood at two years in. So I think my mother really, I think sometimes we celebrate people who are rich or have name recognition or celebrities. And let me, I love celebrity. I love a good celebrity gossip, right? But I think sometimes they're on the pedestal and the everyday stories of women and mothers who have single-handedly changed the lives and trajectory of generations, those stories aren't told and they're not celebrated. And I think for me, this story really is showing people my mother is a gem. She's an incredible woman. And this truly is a love letter to her, right? How else would I be on, Olymp- um, on world championship podiums? How else would I be on an Olympic start line if not for this woman, right? Mm-hmm. My future could have been right now being on a beach and selling. And, and, and that is so limited in scope. That is just, doesn't give you the breadth and depth of life that I've actually lived, right? She gave me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, it's such a, such a powerful story. Like I've said, um, although I, I will say the being on the beach part right now wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> girl, who you tell him? Oh, I would take that. <laughs> when you said, when you said beach, I just, my mind shifted to vacation mode there honestly. for a second, but no, absolutely a different, a different type of experience completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, so we, you know, present day, you, you have this book and you're a thriving, uh, a thriving woman in her own right. What, what is coming up next for you? Oh, okay. So the exciting thing is I will be hosting for the first time, um, CBC Olympics, which is huge. So I'm looking forward to that. Congratulations. Thank you. So I've been to the Olympics before, obviously as a broadcaster, but I'm usually in the mix zone, meaning I'm just like in the field, um, interviewing the athletes. My dream job has been being at the desk and taking these stories to Canadians day to day throughout the Olympics. And so I'll finally do that. I also host a really cool show called All Round Champion. And this show is a sports competition series where we take 10 elite athletes, five Canadian, five Americans, and they have to compete in each other's sport, but they only have three days to prepare. We're on the oh, last wow. I know. Cool. 
right? On the yeah. left. So we've had sports like boxing, we've had figure skating, speed skating, we've had tennis. And so we're now in about season four of production. And so you can find that on TVO Kids, you can find that on BYUTV.org. And it really is, it teaches athletes lessons and, and children at home lessons through sports. So resilience, overcoming, not being a sore loser, all those things, falling down and getting back up and, and how to be victorious, right? How to win, that's okay too. And so I'm really, really proud of that project in particular, All Round Champion. Let's get real. Thinking you have an STI can be a stressful experience and thinking about going to see a doctor can make us push off appointments, which may cause things to get worse. Sometimes the symptoms are obvious, but others might not be as obvious. With Maple, you can get discreet care by exchanging secure text message with their physicians, as well as being prescribed medication that can be sent right to your home for free. Maple physicians can also treat yeast infections, low libido, UTIs, as well as prescribed birth control. Download Maple in the App Store or Google Play Store or head to getmaple.ca backslash style to learn more. Maple's got you covered with healthcare down there. That sounds very interesting. I'll need to tune into that. So, I mean, there's so many lessons that sports teaches you. And I know you, you touched on them a little bit. Is there, what would you say the biggest lesson is for you anyway? Yeah, I think what sport has taught me is, and this is, you know, taken me a long time to really reconcile this and understand this. For some people, when they see my name or Google my name, the memory that is seared in their mind of me is me falling at the Olympics as the favorite. And I have to accept that. Doesn't mean that those people define me by that race or I even define myself by that race, but that's what it is. So I think today what sport really means to me, and I think what I mean to a lot of people when they think about me and my story in sport is being able to fall, but also be able to get up. And that hard moments, tough moments, really do reveal your character, who you are. Because I think for me, in my hardest moments that were so public, Athens was so public, I showed who I was. I couldn't hide in that moment. I couldn't pretend in that moment. It was who I I am. And all of us are living through this pandemic, right? All of us have had a year plus of personal letdowns, work letdowns. I mean, you think of all the stores closing, people not being employed. Maybe you're in the house and it's difficult because it's you and your dog and your partner and your kids and their homeschool, like all the drama, right? And you still have to show up. You still have to be mom. You still have to be you. You still have to be, you know, the person who runs your business or goes to work. That's hard. But I think what this time in this pandemic has taught us is that you can be resilient and resiliency is not just in an athlete who goes to the Olympics. It's a human trait, right? And it's something yes. that all of us, yeah, have sharpened through COVID and will continue to sharpen, right? And it's just, and how do you do that? It's a decision that you make. So how did I get over my Olympic letdown? It's literally a decision that I make, but I'm making that decision every day. 17 years later, after it's happened, Elise, I am still making that decision. 
okay, Athens is not going to get me down today. If I see the picture, it's not going to get me down. If I talk about it, it's not going to get me down. So even through this pandemic, I think we're all experiencing in some ways our own personal Athens. And it doesn't have to be this public thing, but we all know what we're struggling with, right? Whether it's your mental health or your emotional health or just feeling like I have to let a, a ball drop. I think that's okay. So I really do believe sport for me is about resilience, but that is just not a trait of, of being a world-class athlete. That's in everybody. And I think that's been on display all year. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in doing more and more of these podcast conversations, what seems to be this common theme, no matter what the topic is of what we're talking about is life is a choice, right? And and we, we always have that choice of what direction we're going to take it in. And it's funny, as you're talking, I think, you know, the topic of today was the Olympics, but I think it could just as easily been resiliency. Yeah. That would have been That would have been just as perfect and really appreciate you sharing, you know, the story of, of your resiliency, your mother's every, the, the entire story there is so powerful. So appreciate you being here today and speaking with us. Where can we find you on social and the web? (laughs) Yeah. So you can find me on all platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Perdita Felician. I also have a website, perditafelician.com. Send me a DM, send me a shout out, whatever. I always try and reply. So yeah, find me on the interwebs. The interwebs. Yeah. I'm like the, the web as they call it, (laughs) but thank you so much for being here with us today, Perdita. And we're looking forward to watching you cover things for us over the Olympics. We'll be tuning in and, and otherwise continuing the conversation online as well with style Canada. So thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada.